Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Our children are leaving. I do want to introduce to you our guest preacher this morning. Uh, This is Jim Maslowski here on the front row. Jim and I go way back to seminary. I've known Jim for many years, and um, we used to be um, just seminary buddies, and then we became uh, pastors. He he pastored Loveland Community Church for many years in Loveland. Uh, Now he works for our Colorado Baptist Convention. Uh, He is the director of church planting. Uh, He oversees all of the the church planting basically on the eastern side of our state. And so um, Jim is a missional guy. We've been talking about living a missional lifestyle, and so I just thought it would be very appropriate for us to invite Jim to come and just share with us from his heart uh, what the Word says and just to encourage us and challenge us to be a missional church. So, Jim, I thank you for coming, and would you just come and share with us from the Word this morning? Thank you. Let's give him a welcome this morning. Thank you, Sean. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. It's a pleasure for me to be here and, and a joy to be with Sean, just to be friends and be here with Kent and his family. Um, Kent took me on a, on a tour, whirlwind tour up here just a couple months ago, and I had a wonderful time just driving around, seeing what God's doing among you. Um, I've been sent here by your, your fellow sister churches um, to be an encouragement to you um, and to be encouraged by you. And you've already encouraged me uh, just being here and worship with you. It's been good today. I've been listening to Sean's messages. Um, you you blessed to have a, a preacher like him. And uh, hopefully I can be an encouragement to you today. And I don't know of anything more encouraging than the Word of God. So I want us to go right there and begin in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Um, Today we're going to talk about his power because we need it desperately, especially if you're going to be missional people. Um, Sean's been talking to you out of the word about being missional um, because a proper understanding of the gospel requires that we be missional people in missional churches. This isn't an optional thing. Um, It's really critical. And uh, being missional requires us to acknowledge this simple truth, okay? I'm going to go through this with you. People who are dead to God and alive to human desire can't become alive to God and dead to human desire unless somebody already alive to God and dead to human desire loves them enough to go after them, find them where they are, tell them the gospel, which literally is the power to save them from their dead to God, alive to human desire condition. That's simple enough, right? Really simple. (laughs) Let me be a little bit more simple. If there's a person that's alive, and there's a person that's dead, and there's the potential of the dead person to be resurrected, the alive person has to go get the body for that thing to happen. That's what we're talking about. You understand, don't you, today, why most of the people in Sterling, Colorado, and Logan County aren't worshiping with you here today or any other church here worshiping the Most High God. It's not because your music isn't fantastic enough. 
It's not because your children's program isn't really good. It's not because your growth groups aren't good. It's not because you don't have enough parking spaces or enough seats. It's because they can't. It's because they're dead to God. And they are completely unable to understand that there's something that's happening here that has anything to do with the life that they're living. The truth of the gospel demands that somebody goes out there after those people. Um, When I was five years old, living in Chicago, Illinois, my parents divorced. I was living with my dad and my mom and my three older sisters, and it broke my heart. Just just killed me. Um, When they divorced... Me and my three older sisters and my mom moved to southwest Missouri to be close to her parents. And my dad stayed in Chicago, um, got married shortly after that, had other kids. Um, But I really struggled growing up without a dad. I was in a family with my mom and my three older sisters. I was worried I was going to grow up to be a girl. I mean, I just needed, (laughs) needed a man. It was tough. And my mom could tell I was really struggling. And so she tried to encourage me um, by telling me this story. She said, Jimmy, do you know why you have three older sisters? I said, no, mom, why? Well, your dad wanted a boy, and he wasn't going to stop until he got one. That was supposed to make me feel like I was wanted by my dad, because um, the the problem was, if I wanted to see my dad, I had to go see him. He wasn't coming to see me. If I wanted to talk to my dad, I needed to pick up the phone and call him, because he wasn't picking up the phone and calling me. And so even though my mom was trying to encourage me with this story, it didn't work. Because what my young brain decided was, if my dad wanted a boy, and wasn't going to stop until he got one, and he finally got one, but he's not coming after him, and he's not calling him, I must not be the boy he was looking for. And so I I developed a belief that I was the boy that was not worth coming after. That's how I grew up. And I coped with it, just like every kid does. When I was 14, I was working in a a, a stock boy in a gift shop. And I met a young couple, Dennis and Karen Jones, um, and they just kind of came after me. They started inviting me to everything that they did. We were living down in uh, Kimberling City, Missouri, and uh, we worked at Silver Dollar City, so we got to go to these country music shows for free, which were terrible, um, but they were fun. And so they would take me to those, and they would take me skiing with them, and they would take me when they went on trips, and they just kind of invited me into their lives, and I couldn't figure out why. And I really loved them because they were great people. I didn't know what was different about them, but they just invited me to everything they did. And one day, they invited me to their church, Kimberling City First Baptist Church. And Wayne Taylor was speaking out of Psalms 139, and he read the passage that said, While you were in your mother's womb, I formed you. I knit your bones together. When nobody else could see you, I could see you. And I had every day of your life numbered before they even there. It's the first time in my life that I heard that there was a father that knew me, that made me. And Wayne Taylor, the pastor, said, Jesus Christ was that father coming after you. O-M-G. That's all I could say on that day. Um... When I understood that I had a Heavenly Father that came after me, Wayne didn't even get done with his invitation before I was right there in his face going, I want that. I want that. Um, It was the best day of my life. Uh, Dennis and Karen Jones pursued me. They came after me. Not because of who I was, but in spite of who I was. Nobody ever had done that before in my life. And like I said, it was the best day of my life. I've had great days. When I got married to Paula, that was a wonderful day. Um, The days um, when my kids were born, those were great days. The day I went to the Apple store to pick up my iPhone 4. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Not that. Um, 
Well, that was an amazing day because here's what happened on that day. A person who was fully and completely dead to God and alive to human desire became fully alive to God and dead to human desire because of what Jesus did on the cross because he went and did all of that for me. He lived a life that was fully alive to God and fully dead to human desire. And then he died a death that, that not only died to the penalty of that human desire, but to the power of that human desire. Um, but somebody had to come after me to do that. Um, I love to read what my wife calls adventure death books. Uh, stories about people that go out on adventures and either die or almost die. I just finished reading 127 Hours. Uh, you know, it's the story about Aaron Ralston who literally had to cut his arm off um, to save himself when it got pinned in a canyon with a boulder in, in Moab. And in all of these books that I read, um, including this one, there's always a, a, a search and rescue team. These amazing people who risk their lives to go out and, and help find people who are lost in the wilderness. They're called search and rescue teams. Um, but if a search and rescue team doesn't find the person pretty soon, they turn into search and recovery teams because they know they're not looking for a human, a live human anymore. They're looking for a body. Um, I hope you understand that we as churches are not search and rescue teams. We can't put up a beacon with a light that helps lost people that are wandering around come and find us. I know there are hymns that paint that picture, but those are hymns. That is not scripture. Churches are search and recovery teams. We have to put teams together and go out and find dead bodies. That's, that's what the gospel says, and that's what this is about. And, and I'm talking in such stark terms um, because I've come to realize that sometimes we have some false gospels that start floating around in our churches. And on our way to the real thing today, I want to step through a couple false gospels um, just to make sure that we understand what the gospel is. We've been talking about it a lot. Um, as your missions director, the state of Colorado, our, our vision statement is to saturate uh, the state of Colorado with the gospel. And you as a partnering church in that, that's yours too. Um, your job is to take the gospel of God into this place. Um, and, and I want to make sure, and I know Sean has done a really good job, but I want to expose a few of these on our way to the real one. The first one, and, and I have to ask for forgiveness here, I've called it Hybelism. I shouldn't have done that um, because I really respect Bill Hybels. He's the pastor of Willow Creek Community Church. Um, but he said something a couple years ago that I think has led a lot of people astray. He said, the church is the hope of the world. Um, and I don't believe that's true. The church is a great thing. Um, Emmanuel Baptist Church is a wonderful church. Uh, Calvary Baptist, where I came from today, that's where I'm going to church. The Catholic Church down the street, the Methodist Church, Willow Creek Community Church, they're all great churches, but they are not the hope of the world. Uh, there's a debate right now about whether the church over history is, has done more good than it's bad. And if you check with a real historian over history, the church has done much more good than it's done bad, but it's done some bad things in the name of Christ. Jesus never said the church was the hope of the world. He's the hope of the world. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. And all the church is a wonderful place. Um, it is not the hope of the world by a long shot. The gospel is not about how great our church can be, how a wonderful place this can be. 
And if the gospel that we're offering to Sterling or Logan County or Colorado is what a great church this can be, we have a pitiful gospel. Um, if, you, if what you're offering is this wonderful community and that kind of stuff, to dead people doesn't mean anything. It has no power in the life of a dead person that's dead to God. Um, so no matter how large your church becomes or how much influence begins to wield in this community, it's never going to be the hope of the world. As wonderful it is, it's no substitute for an amazing, magnificent God. Um, it usually leads to self-promotion. So just watch out for that. Just watch out for that. When you're talking with people that you love, that God has sent you to, um, don't substitute church for an amazing God. Uh, second one I want to touch on is the self-improvement gospel. Um, most Christians that are handing out this gospel started with the real one, and they slid back into this one after conversion. Um, it's a tricky one because it seems so right. Uh, but in fact, it's simply us, again, trying to do what only God can do. And it's empty of power. It's devoid of his power. Emmett Fox writes, As soon as you resist mentally any undesirable or unwanted circumstance, you endow it with more power, power which it will use against you, and you will have depleted your own resources to that extent. Henry Arnold wrote, As long as we think we can save ourselves by our own will, we will only make the evil stronger in us. And if you and I are attempting a gospel that's a self-improvement gospel in our own strength to try to be better people. Um, we have a weak, powerless gospel. In fact, um, something I, I, I want to mention to you, you might as well be a Buddhist in Colorado. You, will have, you have a better gospel if that's the one that you want to share. Um, Buddhism is very popular here. Uh, we have the largest Buddhist temple in the world, 10 miles north of Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, I have friends in my small group and they're atheists, and they're studying Buddhism because it makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, but I'm going to give them to you real quickly, just so you know what you're up against. Um, here's the Four Noble Truths. Suffering is real and universal. Two, suffering is caused by our desire to have and control things. Three, there is an end to suffering. And four, in order to end suffering, you must follow the Eightfold Path. And here's the Eightfold Path. Number one, you have to have right understanding of the Four Noble Truths. Number two, you have to think right, right thinking. Number three, you have to have right speech. No lying, no criticism, no condemning, no gossip, and no harsh language. Uh, number four, you have to have right conduct. Do not kill, do not steal, do not lie, do not misuse sex, and do not consume alcohol or drugs. Number five, right livelihood. Support yourself without hurting other people. So pick an occupation that's not destructive to others. Seven, you've got to have the right mindfulness. Um, become aware of your body and your mind and your feelings. And eight, you have to have the right concentration. You have to meditate to achieve a higher state of consciousness. That's Buddhism. Did you know it's more legalistic than the Ten Commandments? It is. The great thing about Buddhism is, is there's no God and there's no hell. That's why it's so popular among atheists. That's why it works really well. I was with a Chinese man the other day that, that was raised Buddhist, and we were comparing the Eightfold Path to the Ten Commandments that Moses gave and agreeing that, yeah, they're pretty much the same. I said, but, and I didn't realize what I was saying until I said it, and I said, do you realize when Moses gave us the law, the whole point was just to, tell, to show us that we couldn't keep it. And he jerked back. He said, what? 
And so that was the whole point of Moses giving us the law was to, to show us that we couldn't do it. He said, oh my gosh, this is new teaching. I've never heard this. Um, because a, a Buddhist or anybody else that's involved in a self-improvement gospel, they are working their own way into becoming a better person. The truth is, Jesus didn't just die to the penalty of our sin. He died to the power of human desire over us. And and we have to let him do that. We cannot die to ourselves. Jesus did it for us. And we just have to remember that we are alive to God and dead to the power of human desire. Last one on our way to the real one uh, is the Jesus makes life easier, better gospel. Jesus didn't come um, to make the road smoother for you and me in this world. He didn't come to make you a better football player, better school teacher, better businessman. What he's doing is working to make you and me the kind of people that can take anything this world can throw at them and keep getting up with joy and love and peace and pointing to him and talking about how great he is. That's what he came to do. That's, that's what the real gospel is. And we don't want to tell people that if you would just trust Jesus, everything will work out okay. He did say that in a big eternal sense. But all of us have to live through a lifetime of a broke and sick, painful world. And so even though in the end, everything's going to work out okay, that kind of a gospel doesn't help people who are living in the middle of a very difficult life. Very difficult life. In this, in this standpoint, Buddhism's a better option because it says it recognizes the suffering. It recognizes the suffering. Um, please don't insult people with another gospel that promises that everything will be okay. Trouble, difficulty, and discomfort are the very things that God is using to shape you and me into simply becoming better reflectors of his glory. It's part of our walk. Um, And Jesus didn't come to take it away from you. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Not maybe. He said, you will have trouble. Maybe not today, maybe not Monday, but Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, trouble is coming your way. It's got your name on it. It's going to land here whether you know Jesus or not. And how you respond to that trouble uh, is what it's all about. Um, so those things are there to make us better. And, and the real gospel is that Jesus came to make us the kind of people that can take anything this world can throw at us. Because he lives in us and he's overcome everything. And we can overcome him with his power when he lives in us. Uh, so those are, those are three, three falsehoods I kind of wanted to, to cruise through on the way to the real thing. I want to talk about the real thing. I've already stated it. Um, but but let's, let's state it in a way that maybe is helpful, okay? In our world, everybody is wanting to do good and wants to be good. That's just, that's just the, the reality of what I see. I don't usually argue with that with people um, because it doesn't usually go anywhere. But all of us, believe it or not, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, wants to be good and do good. I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, by December 9th of last year, 57 billionaires had signed the giving pledge. Are you all familiar with that? Um, Billionaires that signed a pledge that said, by the time I die during my life, I will give away half of my fortune 
to philanthropic uh, causes. And they write a letter explaining how they're going to do that. These aren't Christians. This isn't a spiritual movement. These are billionaires in America that have said that. Um, All of us have a sense in us that that we want to do something good. Um, You know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. Um, that passage tells us how we get saved. We're saved by grace. Ephesians 2.10 talks about why we got saved. And it says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You and I were designed to do good. We're hardwired to do good. We don't do it because we get anything out of it. God made us to be instruments of goodness, to reflect his glory. That's all there is. Do you know, even people who are dead to God and alive to human desire have this in them. They have a sense that they know they're supposed to be doing good things. Now, when they do it, it's for self-promotion. But it looks the same. So here's, here's the place where all of us are. We're living in a world where everybody wants to do and be good. There's two ways you can go about doing that. You do it one way, being dead to God and alive to your human desires. That's one way to be a part of that. Um, The second way to do that is to be alive to God and dead to human desires. If you're engaged in being and doing good, dead to God and alive to human desire, you are engaged in the most futile exercise in the history of the world. Because you're attempting to do something and overcome something that can't be overcome by anything else than divine power. Human nature is the source of the corruption in the world. And it's what's in each of us. And if you're attempting to do good and be good, dead to God and his power and alive to human nature... It will always go bad. It doesn't matter how good you can make it look on the outside. Anybody involved in that pursuit is full of dirty, rotten fruit on the inside. And, and I can give you story after story after story of well-intentioned people who tried to do good and tried to overcome their stuff, and, and they never can. But if you're engaged in doing good and being good, alive to God, and dead to human desire, you're engaged in the only endeavor in the history of the world that's destined to succeed. That's that's what's the great thing about being in the gospel. Um, And the truth is, there's only one way to get from being dead to God and alive to human desire to being alive to God and dead to human desire, and that's Jesus. That's what he did on the cross. It's that simple. There's no other way to approach life alive to God and dead to human desire. Um, I laid it out in these terms because last week um, Sean was talking to you about sharing the gospel with clarity. And sometimes it's hard to get it down in a way that somebody that you love and know that doesn't know God makes sense. Um, think if we, if we look at the gospel in these terms, very clear um, what we're all in the middle of, it looks kind of like a map. You can put this down on a piece of paper and, and say, where are you? 
Um, most important thing about our gospel this is a very simple process. This is about God being great and not about us being great. The difference between being, being involved in doing good and being good, dead to God, is that it always turns into self-promotion. It's always about us. It's always about our church. It's always about our stuff. On the other hand, when you're doing it alive to God, it's always about Him. Just like your church says, it's God's glory, it's God's gospel, and it's God's great commission. It's all about Him. Um, If you and I spend one moment of our lives claiming any kind of glory for any kind of person we become, we have completely misunderstood the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about how great God is and how puny and helpless and tiny we are in the scheme of things. If we compare ourselves to each other, we can make all kinds of differences. I have a friend. His name is Matt. Um, Matt lives in a special chair because he can't walk and can't hardly do anything for himself. Um, Matt drools a lot, and so he wears this uh, handkerchief that makes him look like a bandit, and so that's what we kind of call him, call him bandit. Um, At least once a day, Matt falls out of his chair and goes into a severe convulsion for two to five minutes. Um, But most days of the week, Matt goes to Emmanuel Community Church, where I used to be on staff, um, and he does a job, which is to take the scrap paper from everybody's work and push it through the paper shredder. He does this really well. He's great at it. Um, He takes great pride in his work, and it is significant work. A less educated caregiver recently um, kind of dismissed the work that Matt did and was surprised at the lessons that she was given by everybody else of how critical uh, Matt's job was to the running of Emmanuel Community Church. Here's, here's why I'm telling you a story. People who are doing life dead to God and alive to human desire pity Matt, and they are uncomfortable around Matt. And they go out of their way to avoid Matt because they believe that their worst day on earth is better than Matt's best day on earth. Um, the people that are alive to God and dead to human desire love to be around Matt. Because we know that the work he does really is as important as the work that I do as your director of missions. That in comparison to the God that we serve, we are such puny dust ball people that any comparison that we make to the work that we do is ridiculous in comparison to his incomprehensible glory. The best that we can do as human beings, is to point to God and tell about how wonderful he is. And when Matt does that, he does it so much better than I do. He does it so much better than I do it. And I love being around Matt. Um, And I want to say this with as much love as I possibly can to you. Most of us in the room have a job. If you don't have a job, I'm really sorry. We're in an economy where we're missing jobs Um, And we could all debate whose job is better, more significant. Um, And work is one of the greatest things that God has given us. It's a good thing. 
But I'd make this observation. I think we are all taking our work a little too seriously. Um, The other day, I heard an article that Manpower Inc. is having its best year ever. You know, that's the agency that hires temporary workers to do all kinds of odd jobs um, because a lot of people are at work and they're doing that. And I kind of had to laugh at the report because, you know, in reality, we're all temp workers. We are all temporary workers in temporary jobs. We don't see it that way, do we? We look at our careers as something really significant. And honestly, we need to stop making such silly minor comparisons about what we're doing and about what this is about. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ implies. What I'm telling you about the work that we do. I'm not using hyperbola when I talk about Matt's work being significant work and being serious. Um, Because when we compare what we do in the big picture of who God is and what he does, it's a pitiful comparison. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's why the Apostle Paul says, I consider all that my life is as dung compared to knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified. We have to embrace this gospel and reject everything else. So look at Second uh, Peter chapter 1, 3-4. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. This is the gospel that we have to get. We have to get it really clear. And this is the gospel that we have to walk in. Um, Colossians chapter 2, 6 and 7 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, God made man simple and man's complex problems are of his own devising. We, we so often get the gospel of Jesus Christ and we walk right through it into all of our wonderful schemes about how we're going to help God change the world. And what Paul says is, when you walk into that gospel, you stay in that gospel. You don't walk through it. There isn't anything else. It's that simple. There is nothing more complex about this other than being alive to God and dead to human desire. We're having this discussion because you're being encouraged to go out into Sterling and be missional and make disciples. And if you believe that that endeavor requires anything more than being uneducated, weak, humble people of God, you will hesitate. You will wait until you finish your degree, or wait until you get your life put together, or wait until you graduate from high school, or find a mate, or one of six billion other excuses your human nature will throw up at you. Your human desires will create all kinds of excuses if you think there's more to this. The gospel is about a bunch of weak, unprepared, really messed up people 
we qualify, don't we? (laughs) Going out and telling the good news that you don't have to be all that to live fully alive to God and fully dead to human desire. The fact that you don't know what you're doing is the best part of this message. Jesus' disciples didn't know what they were doing. In the time that they had been with Jesus, it's clear they didn't learn anything other than they knew that it had to be about the power of God and not about anything that they could come up with. You read the book of Acts and you read Paul's epistles and Peter's letters and John's letters. It's all about one simple thing. It's about the power of God. It's about how great God is and how weak they are. Christianity has always been an as-you-go movement led by non-professionals. And what I'm encouraging you today, along with your pastor, is that you need to take ownership of this gospel. And you need to take it out of the hands of professionals like Sean and I and own it and take it out there and share the gospel through God's power. Becoming missional only requires that you become so familiar with this powerful gospel that you understand that the less capable you are of handling it, the more capable you are of spreading it. Because again, your weakness and my weakness literally increases the power of the gospel to the people we we take it to. Because all we're doing is walking into town and telling people how great he is and how not great I am. That's what the gospel is all about. And if you get this gospel right today, if you get this, it will change the kind of people you are when you walk out these doors. And let me give you an example, okay? Last week, Sean talked to you about praying for opportunities. Those moments, those Kairos moments that God's going to put in your life. And you should be praying. You should have cards with people's names on it that you're praying about. It's possible that prayer is actually the opportunity that God's going to open for you to do that. Um, Let me talk to you about what I mean. I've been observing something, okay? Uh, People that are dead to God, that know somebody who seems to know God, always believe that we have some connection to God that's special. Like we carry around this red phone. Um, We can pick it up and say, hey God, I need a special favor. Can you help me out? Um, They believe that about this. But I've also noticed that what we do as Christians when somebody says that is we go, oh, no, 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 no. I don't have anything with God that you can't have. We kind of play that down. And we give away one of the most powerful things that we have. Because the truth is, I do have a red phone to God. I am walking around in town with a direct line to my Heavenly Father who loves me and cares for me and loves every single person that's out there. I'm alive to God. I'm fully alive to God and to his power and what he's doing in this world. And I can pick up that phone anytime I want to and ask him for what I want. And, and when I'm standing there with a person who's dead to God and they're talking about their lives and the brokenness there is there or the pain or the problems that are there, the door's wide open for me to invite God into there. You know what I'm saying? Here's, here's what it would sound like. Um, John. I've been listening to you tell me about having to sell your business, your coffee shop. And I'm really sorry that you're having to face that. 
that you might have to close this business down and sell it. I'm sorry for what that means, your family, everything else. I said, um, I, I can't help. I don't know how to help. Um, but, but I care about that. And I said, when I get to a place in my life when I don't know what to do, uh, I call on God. I ask him to help. I said, could I pray for you? Can I pray for you and the, the decision that your family's facing? And John will say one of two things. Well, first of all, nine out of ten times, John says, yes, please pray for me. Because everybody in your town believes in prayer. And they would love to have somebody who knows God praying for them. Nine out of times, nine out of ten times, they'll say yes. Um, and then I say to John, John, could I pray right now with you? Or would you like me to wait until I'm with my friends who I pray with and pray for you then? And again, a large amount of the time, that person will say, well, you can pray right now. And here's what that prayer would sound like. Father in heaven, thank you so much for my friend John, who has trusted me to invite you into this situation and talk about his problem. And God, I don't have to tell you what's going on in his life. While we've been standing here talking to each other, you've been here and you've heard everything he said. You know what's going on in his life. And Lord, I know that you love him and you care for him because you love and care for me. And I want to pray for him and his family and his business right now, Lord, uh, that you would do whatever you could do to help them out, to guide them. But Lord, would you do something in the midst of this? Would you let John sense your presence? Would you let him know about your love for him? And as we walk together on this and, and we pray about it, Lord, would you do what only you could do? And I pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what that, that prayer would sound like. And when I open my eyes, you know what I usually see? I usually see tears. Because number one, that person's never heard anybody talk to God like that. They've heard people pray, but it was a formal prayer. that's some kind of a formal gathering. And they've never heard somebody who's fully alive to God and fully dead to human desire cry out to him and ask for him to come in and do that. And right then, the door is wide open to come back to John and say, John, what's going on? How's God doing that? Even if John said no, which he did initially, John said, I don't really do that kind of thing. So that's great. We'll, we'll pray for you. And then I came back and said, John, how's it going? And we got to talk. Um, I, I want to encourage you. A missional Christian uses missional prayer. You just don't pray in your church and you just don't pray in your house. You take those prayers out into the street. And you take this powerful gospel and you let God show up in people's lives. You invite him into their life. Um, it will change. If you understand this gospel, it will change the way that you pray. Um, it will change the way that you share. Sean talked to you last week about sharing the gospel with clarity. When, when you can talk to people about whether they're alive to God and, and dead to human desire or dead to God and alive to human desire, there's a great map there for people to look at. And, and that's what I want to do right now. I want you to look at that map and figure out where you're at. Where are you? You could have been in church for years and still have not gotten this. Um, are you dead to God and alive to human desires? Or are you alive to God and dead to human desire? I want to give you a moment with us together um, in silence just to kind of sort that out with God. Um, I don't know how you guys do things, Sean, but I want to invite you uh, to come up and do that. Um, and I want to encourage you. Um, 
This gospel is a powerful thing. It is the power of God for salvation. And it's a very simple thing. Don't make it more complex than it is. Um, Close your eyes with me, if you would.